so much again, Lord, uh, just for opportunities to, to bring the word to your people, Lord. I pray that this message will just touch our hearts through the anointing of your spirit, Lord, will just minister to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you might use me as an instrument to proclaim your word through your Holy Spirit, I pray. And we just thank you, Lord, for the exciting things you have for us today. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, detergent advertisers have promoted their products with slogans such as getting whites whiter or leave it and we'll clean it. Or another one, uh, another one is, we are stronger than your dirt. So that's another classic one. Or shining you like crystal. And how about this one? Clean clothes, clean life. You know, and that's just, that just one of, of hundreds. And people actually get paid dollars to come up with these little slogans. But friends, we do not need the best detergents on the market to clean up our lives. When Jesus Christ comes into any heart, he starts that process of cleaning us from the inside out. And that is a constant. He's constantly cleaning us, cleaning that clutter out of our lives. And that doesn't stop, you know, after five or ten years. That continues. Sometimes things linger within us that we're not even aware of until he brings it to our attention that we, he needs to clean that out of us. That's what he does. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has many functions. As we know, we have the gifts. But we also need to understand that the Spirit cleanses us each and every day. So when things pop into your head that shouldn't be there, then who's convicting you? It's the Spirit of God. He's convicting you that this is not right. See what I'm saying? So, so it's important for us to see that. I'm going to start with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify or cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Paul says we are a part of this purifying process that is ongoing. And, and he also says here, he says, that is an active phrase. Cleanse us from what? From the things that tend to slow us down or halt us in the faith. What's happening so much in today's world, if you really want to analyze it, when it comes to things of God, people are making their own rules. I said many months ago that we're living in a different world right now where it's becoming man and woman are the measure of all things. God is becoming less and less significant in this world and humanity's wisdom and knowledge is taking over dramatically. We can see that, that we, uh, have, uh, we know the right and the wrongness of things. So God is no longer relevant. Now it's a God of, or a, a, you have to be logical. That's it, to be logical. So, and that is happening more and more. If you look at our churches, just get on your internet, whatever. If you don't believe me, and you see the dramatic decline in churches across our land. They don't need God. They don't need God because they're the measure. 
We marry, it becomes a, you know, it's now, it's now, it's the Bible of the culture. You interpret the Bible through your modern culture today. The things of the past, we see all scriptures are inspired. Well, that depends on how you look at it according to society today. Because you need to look at the uh, scripture through today's, through the lens of today's eyes. I, I understand we need to do that partially, but, you know, God's truth is always God's truth. Amen? So, what I want us to do, I want to look at ways that we can become more like Jesus. And the first one I want to talk about is understanding what God looks like. We're going to be looking at John 14, verses 5 through 9. Thomas said to him, Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, and this is really important. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The, the disciples were living in a troubled times. Jesus' death was fast approaching. They were going through a whirlwind of activity. Judas denied, was, betrayed Jesus, and things were just churning. And not only that, they were trying to take in all the teachings of Jesus, all the miracles, all the times being with Christ. And then Christ would, would say something like, okay, let's gather, the 12 of you. Now I want to teach you something. This is what happened. Now I'm going to tell you why it happened. So they were on fast forward in terms of their journey, their faith journey. Now Jesus, you know, we had the first supper and things are starting to make them a little bit nervous. So they were looking for some assurance here, some assurance that Jesus loved them, that Jesus would never leave them, that he was who he said he was. Verse 6. Jesus said, again, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to the Father. That's what he's saying. Now, that's the kicker today. If you went on the corner of any street in our, in our culture and you would say that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father you're going to get a whole lot of different responses. And some of them you're not going to like. Even in churches today, sadly, I'm not going to throw... I'm just saying this is truth. They, they'll say things to you, and you've heard me say this. Yes, we believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. But we also believe that there are other paths to God. We're not the only path. How can you believe that? How can you believe in Christ, you know, in one sentence and say, but you know something, if you're of this, you know, Eastern persuasion, then if you're, then you, you have a path to God. 
That's not the Bible. That's not what the Bible says. So we have that. And Jesus, when he said that, he knew. He knew what was going to happen in 2021, how people were going to respond to what he had just said. There, he's saying there's no other way to the Father. For in Jesus Christ, all truths of God are revealed. Therefore, to know Jesus is to know the Father. Now, he's very clear in verse 6, right? How can you say, how can you interpret that any differently than what Jesus just said? But Philip, he was not satisfied. He wanted, he wanted more proof. How often are we not satisfied that we need more proof of God's existence? How many times have we in our lives felt, oh, God's presence, oh, God is real, then something happens, and then suddenly our faith starts to go south, how quickly we all forget, amen? Well, Philip saw it all. He saw Jesus firsthand. Jesus was his primary resource for the faith, and yet now he is starting to waffle. Verse 7, Jesus said, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus made it clear that seeing him is seeing the Father. Believing this was an act of faith for them and is an act of faith for us. Once we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, this is not a mystery to us, is it? I mean, I could talk to you one-on-one if Christ is in your heart and say, does this confuse you? Just yet? absolutely not. It doesn't confuse me. Jesus and the Father, Jesus and the Father, they are one. But that's not quite how society looks at this. You know, all those years we were in Disney, oh, so many years. Um, if I do not, you know, if I don't see Disney World again in this lifetime, I will not be unhappy. But I remember they used to have in some of these resorts, they'd have these artists, and they would sketch people. Is it sketch, Jan? Is that the word? And, and it was really cool because watch them. It's fascinating for me because, okay, they'd charge a fee for that. So if you wanted your portrait or whatever sketch, they would do it, and they'd give it to you for whatever dollars amount it was. And it's amazing, though, when I look at some I could pass by and say, whoa, there is a likeness to that person that was being sketched. Imagine this. If we could just for a period of time say to God, our creator, hey, I got a great idea. We do. We want to sketch you, God, and we're going to get this unbelievable uh, artist and that artist is going to paint you and paint your portrait how about it and say God said yes by all means so after the artist was completed what would we see we would see Jesus on the canvas when you want to know what God thinks then read the Gospels about Jesus Christ. If you want to know God's character, then learn the life of Jesus. If you want to know 
If you want to know how much God loves you, then look at Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Isn't this all fundamental? It is. But it's so, so important. See, Jesus was all about the fundamentals. Sometimes we want to make the faith uh, complicated, but it really, really isn't. It's just that. Jesus died for us on the cross because he loves us so much. Isn't that very, very clear and very simple? Remember that when you're going through your stuff. Remember when you're going through those cloudy moments in your life when you are so anxious and concerned or worried. Remember that simple truth that Jesus loves you and that he is in control. He knows all about you. He knows what you need. He knows what your wants are. Amen. That is so, God, Jesus is so wonderful. He gives all these basic nuggets to share, you know, with each other. Everything Jesus did on this planet manifested the revelation of God. They're interchangeable. Jesus' function was to be God-man, to come on this earth, God in flesh. You know, they had, they had different functions. We know that as you study the Trinity. You had God the Creator, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all in one. They're just, they're just connected to one. So when, when the Spirit convicts you and, and shares and, and, and can give you some truths in your life, that's coming from God. That's God speaking to you. Amen? So I, oh, that's exciting to me. Looking at who we are. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the, his wonderful light. Once, once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Again. But you are a chosen people. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter said to them and to us that once upon a time, we were not a people of God before Christ. But now that we are, we become people of God by asking Jesus Christ into our hearts. Consider this. Peter was writing to a people who are suffering dramatically. They were suffering because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ. So, Peter sought to encourage them by saying that you are God's chosen people. You are special. You are the ones. You're the one. You're it. You're special. I'm proud of you. How about us? Once we were not under the umbrella of God's mercy, 
But now we are. We are God's chosen people. Consider that. We are now God's chosen people. How about us? What does this mean then for us? That we're part of his, part of his family. Take it personally. He delights in you. God delights in you. That's, amen. That's right. He delights in us. That is wonderful. He wants you to feel worthy. He wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to be alive. He wants that. He wants you to feel his presence and guidance every day of your life. Verse 11. Again, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers or pilgrims, depending on your translation in the world, to abstain from, from sinful desires which war against your soul. This is it for all of us. That, this is our battle. Every man, every woman's battle is this. Our, our earthly, our sinful, our flesh desires get a hold of us in a variety of ways. You know, my Jan's brother, um, who I love very much, but her brother was an alcoholic. And he died at 57 years old. And I remember talking to the uh, funeral director at the time. He said, oh, man. He said, 57. He said, that's, that's so young. Literally, he killed himself by all of his drinking. Now we're faced with one of his sons who's an alcoholic. And he darn near died, didn't he? Just very recently because he just went on a binge and he couldn't stop. So Jan gave Tim a call on his birthday. What was it about 10 days ago, whatever it was? And you know what he said? He said, Aunt Jan, you know, he basically said, hey, I almost, you know, I, I was drinking so much that it almost killed me, but he gave the impression, but now I understand, now we get it. But then he said with the next breath, so I'm celebrating my birthday by just having one beer today. Hello? You see what I'm saying here? Do you understand? Peter was saying it is so important for Christians to get a handle on those things of the flesh that are pulling them down. Gossip, fear, worry, anxiety, selfishness. It goes on and on and on and on. And sometimes we say, well, and it's true, sometimes people go through anxiety, whatever. It is a chemical problem. But guess what? Most of the time, it's not a chemical problem. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue that Christians are also having. In our churches, we just need to be cautious. Now, I'm not going to get into the drinking thing in terms of, of I've had for a pastor for all these years, I've had people come into my office and they want to know how I feel about their beverages. I know what they're doing. You know, 
I mean, that had my very first church, so I learned from there, it went on, you know, about they want to make sure that they're okay, this is all good, that I approve of it. How do I handle that? I'm not a drinker. You know, if you're a strong Baptist, what did they tell you? Don't drink. Don't have a drop. You know, isn't that true? There's no exaggeration. One of my, my best friend's girlfriend in high school, she came from a real old-fashioned fundamental Baptist background, and there was, no, there, was no, there was no dancing, and there's no drinking at all. Not even a television back in the days. Can you believe that? I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go down that road and debate that. All I'm saying is, what does the Bible say about this? It talks against being drunk, doesn't it? It talks about losing control. So I'm not going to get into, you know, if you feel convicted not to drink, then don't. Stop it. Don't. But if you're drinking just to have a good time or whatever, then you need to pause. Is God in this? Is this what God wants for you to do? And if God says no, then you need to stop. That's all I'm saying. You need to stop. You know, I can see now why the Bible says, really warns against drunkenness. I've seen it in my family. I saw it in my brother-in-law. Now we're seeing it in his son. It's going to kill him. If he doesn't stop, he will die. He will die by his own choice. You know? I tell people, that if you come from an alcoholic family or brother or something, then your siblings don't drink because that stuff oftentimes will carry on to the next generation. Try to get them away from it. It's a killer. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you guys feel bad or pick on you or anything like that, but, you know, this is, but it's very important that we, that we see this, that we need to, you know, if you look at verse 11 again, that part says, as aliens are strangers in the world, means in this life we are just passing through. Understanding just how fleeting this life is gives us a whole new perspective, doesn't it? All the money you spend on your wardrobe will one day be given, be given to AMVETS or some other charitable organization or sold at some garage sale. All your, your, your china, your prized china, that, that classic car that maybe you nurture and you, and, you, and you wax every month or whatever that's set in your garage, and all your furnishings that you have collected through the years, all that expensive stuff. If you have expensive stuff, I don't know what that means, but some people do will one day be given to relatives or sold at some auction. And your wealth, whatever it is for you that you have accumulated, will not last. You work all those years or whatever for the pension, that will not last. Listen to this. The only thing, the only thing that we will take with us when we leave this planet is what we have invested in the kingdom of God. 
That is it. Nothing else. That's what counts. So each and every day, as you live your faith, understand that your investment in the kingdom of God is all that matters to God. You're not going to be able to say to him, well, God, to tell you what, I got $400,000 in CDs. How about if we give you 200,000 of those CDs? God owns it anyway. You say, that means nothing to me. It's, that's why this life and this, how we live it is so important today. Because we are investing in our eternal future. That's not a threat, that's a fact. Because one day for us it's going to be rewards time. Isn't it exciting to know that one day we're going to have those great rewards? You know, how many of you ever read the book I had to study it in college in English literature? It was uh, John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Great book, isn't it? Great published in, in 1678, I think. Question: Let me see if I can remember my college notes. And and basically, I'm going to give you just a capsule of that of that book as I understand it. It really it's a Christian allegory with a like uh, symbolic uh, visions, if you will, of one good man named who Christian. And Christian was pilgrimaging through, you know, this life on his way to his final destination. What was his destination? The what city? The celestial city. Heaven. And here it is. Here it is for us. To me, this is the lesson of this book. The lesson of this book is this. Of all of his hardships and pain that he endured along the way made his faith stronger. That is it. That's it. Did not Jesus say, in this world we'll have what? We'll have trouble or turmoil, whatever. But then what did he say after that? He said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus knows what he knows what he knows. He knew way back then that we're going to have problems. He knew way back then that we're going to struggle. But he also knew that those that hang in there with him, that their faith will grow out of their turmoil, out of their problems. And it is so, so true. I've shared with some of you that if I'm interviewing a young uh, potential pastor to serve in my church, you know, and if he tells me in an interview process, once I get through all the, you know, all their academic stuff or whatever, uh, well, you know, uh, I was raised in the Midwest, and, you know, my dad was a lawyer. I'm not saying nothing against lawyers, please, you know, whatever. Had a good life, had uh, two or three siblings. Nothing really major happened in my life. It was a very, really nice life I had. No problems, no major issues in my family. Oh, yeah, we had a few scrapes along the way, but nothing big. My response God bless you. God bless you. I hope and pray that God, that God will, re- re- will reveal to you the church that he wants you to be. But not here. Because I'm looking for a pastor who's gone through the hard stuff. Who's gone through, you know, the pain, the hardship that comes with life. Because I know that they are equipped. It's hard. It is hard to... 
It is hard to minister if you not, have not gone through hardships. It really is, because then you can't identify. See what I'm saying? You know? Where am I, Mike? I don't know. Okay. Oh, I got, here's a classic for you. I think it's going to be a classic. You might say boring classics. I remember when I was in seminary, and it was a senior class, and all the seniors were in there, and the professor's talking about worship. And I really, I really, for all this, that was years ago, like 10 years ago. Well, okay, it wasn't 10, 20, okay, it was longer than that. Or I give, I lied. But anyway, he said something that really struck me. And he said, and I shared this with you, and it still rings true to me. He said, in your ministry, he said, if in, in your church, if things are going well, he said, you can't beat it. It's the greatest life in the world. You'll just thrive in that ministry because it is, it's just right. But, he said, if it goes south, it's the most miserable situation you'd, you'd ever want to be in. And he is absolutely right. That is absolutely true. Now, I just want to say, I want to bail out of this one. See, but here I'm living the dream. Just wanted to say that. Okay. Good. They laughed, so that's a good thing. Okay. I'm, let's go on to my third and my final thought. I want to share with you, and that is God is counting on us. This, in, to me, is a big one. They're all big, but this, and really listen to this one. I'm going from First Peter again. Uh, we stopped at 11. Now we're going to go to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans if you want to use that word, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I said before, people are watching us. They're watching you, Christian. If you're a professed Christian, they're watching you. They want to see how you respond. You know, every, well, every four years, the Republican and Democratic parties, they put together their platform, you know, and this platform really is like a road map. And it, uh, and it contains uh, the, the party's message, their core values, their beliefs, their choices that they make. And they're seeking the presidential nomination. Listen to this. Christians, we are the platform that God uses to proclaim his message to a fallen world. We are it. We play tag. We are it that God uses. We are God's hands and feet. Think about that. We are Jesus' hands and feet. I don't know about you, but I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow it. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm striving every day. I'm seeking. When I, One of the beautiful things about being a Christian and living this life is we can make a mistake, but we can bring before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and He forgives us. And if he forgives us, 
then let it go. If you're struggling with something and you need forgiveness, give it to your Lord and Savior, then let it go. Don't let it haunt you. Don't let it fill you with guilt or whatever it is or shame. Let it go because Jesus has let it go. That's why he died on the cross for you. Think about that. Jesus went through all of this torture on that cross so that one day you can confess your sin, whatever it is, and he forgives you. His faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is awesome, isn't it? Boy, that's so, that frees us, doesn't it? It frees me to know that, you know what? I'm not a perfect dude, but when I do something wrong, I'm forgiven, and I get another chance and another chance and another chance. Our spiritual platform reveals the, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Our spiritual platform is built on character. It's built on character. Sometimes in my life, or whatever, I'm put in social situations where I have to make a choice. And sometimes my choice is, if I know that I can do this, you know, I know I can do this, but I think it's going to make my brother or sister stumble. So I'm not going to do it. Because my freedom in Christ, I won't do it. You see, that's part of living that Christian character. Trying to live the good life and doing good deeds. I'm going to close. I want you to leave with this thought. God Almighty has invested Jesus' life in us in us what a challenge and what a privilege God has given each and every one of us hear what I'm saying what a privilege God is counting on us to deliver in our part of the world where we are God is counting on us to deliver for His glory the good news. Are we ready? Are we ready to say, God, I'm in. I am in this. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in it for your glory, for your honor. I'm in it because I love you. You are in my heart, and I want to I want to make a difference so that even those that are hostile to the gospel will might, they might turn to Jesus. That's our goal, isn't it? To share. We're not here. God never said in the Bible, okay, Christian, hoard your faith. He said, give it away. Somehow be nice. That does not mean, that does not mean that you have to just hand out a Bible to a neighbor. Be nice to your neighbor. Show character. Be nice to that neighbor. And maybe one day that neighbor might say, Man, you are, you know, you're such a nice person. You know, tell me a little bit more about yourself. God will give you opportunity to share the gospel with your neighbor. That's it. 
We're not just in it for us. We're in it for others. Oh, Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you so much for who you are, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that that we are your people. And Lord, I pray that you give us the strength, each and every one of us, whatever we need to do to clean up our lives, Lord, convict us to do that, Lord, to be the people totally and completely that you called us to be. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you use us. And Lord, I pray that we hearts, Lord, you can count on me You can count on me. Thank you, Lord, for the awesome privilege of being on this planet, for being in our hearts, for you, Jesus, being our love. We love you so much. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. hands and feet.